0: in a series on family and generational transfer, passing the faith on to the next generation. Not an easy thing to do, easy to talk about, but really has to give it some thought and persistence to make it happen. So last week we talked about family was God's idea. It isn't man's idea. God put the first family together. Then man rebelled against God, broke up the family. All kind of evil, murder, division, polygamy, every ungodly thing in the world we face today came from that original breakup in the family. Then God came on the scene, sent Jesus into the world, and Jesus says, I'm going to start a new family, a spiritual family. And in this family, it won't be based on nationality or race. It'll be based on whosoever will can come into my family. The outcasts, the untouchables, people that weren't of the same Israeli race. God says, everybody can come into my family. And in that culture, it was unthinkable because it was primarily very exclusive, very racist, nationalistic, and even the apostles, a few of them, Peter being number one, just had a hard time thinking God could love somebody different than him or somebody that wasn't Jewish. And God says, that's over. I'm going to let everybody, whosoever will. There's no Jew, no Gentile, no bond, no free, no male, no female in my family. And I will be your father, and you will be my child or my daughter. And he's not an abusive father, and he's a loving father. He's a generous father. And if you didn't have that, God says, I want you in my family. It's a good family. And I got all colors and kinds in my family. You come in one way through Jesus. That's it pretty simple. So we talked about that. And today we're going to talk about that generational transfer, about helping our kids get started strong. Get started strong. Here's the verse we've been using. Psalm 71, verse 17 and 18. He says, "...since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God." until I declare your power to the next generation and your mighty acts to all who are to come. Now, those are tremendous words. Even when I'm old and gray, don't forsake me. But the psalmist isn't concerned there about himself until I declare who you are, God, your goodness, your greatness, and the wonder of your way of life to a generation growing up in the world that needs you desperately. I think part of why that resonates so deeply in me is I'm a dad. I've got children and grandchildren. How many of you men are dads or grand, granddads out there? Okay. Well, this resonates in me. And I'll tell you, there is nothing that matters. A lot of things matter to me. But there's nothing that matters more to me on earth than knowing my children come to know and love God. And that they honor him as long as they live on planet earth. And that they spend all of eternity with him. Nothing. Nothing matters more in the world to me than that. I don't want to lose my children. That is a fact. I mean, I'm at a place I don't care about myself, but boy, my children and my grandchildren, I'm talking about you can make a lot of bad choices and recover, but eternity is not one you can do that in. So you've got to make those wise choices now. And today's message is this idea of starting strong in life. Now, my goal for all of us is to understand the challenge that faces the generation growing up in today's world, and that all of us, young and old, have the responsibility of passing on the faith. Let me, let me pause. Passing on the faith is not passing on your music choice, your method, your style. It's truth. We want to pass on value and truth. I don't care what package my children adapt. I'm not going to say, well, you got to do it my way. you got to like what I like. You have to have the music I like. Stop that. That's never going to happen, and that'll hurt the, the name of Jesus. Truth is eternal, and God's Word doesn't change. Is, uh, culture can change. God's Word never changes, so I have to have something that I can build my life on that won't shake, that won't change, and that's God's Word. But style, method, technology, all that stuff has got a shelf life. It changes all the time. Uh, Didn't God tell Joshua? I'm going to lead you in a way. I didn't lead Moses So every generation has some things that are different truth doesn't change The faith doesn't change. So don't confuse the faith with style. Okay, that just keeps changing I'm looking at some of you now go back and look at your high school annual look at your hairstyle Look at what you wore. Look at who you dated. Oh, God help you. May the Lord be merciful and forgive you. Okay (laughs) And you said, remember, said, I'll die if he leaves me, but I didn't see any bodies. <laughs> I think you made it. So I want to make three observations on this subject this morning. Real simple. Ob- objective number one. It's up to us, the older generation, to figure out how to hand the faith off to the younger generation. It's up to us. And this is not an easy assignment. It's up to those who have been around a while to own the burden of passing the faith, the baton, to the next generation. And if you think about it, God has kind of hardwired that idea of wanting to watch over the next generation. Okay, some of you can relate to this, I know. When I was a little kid, cars didn't have seat belts or airbags. And if my mom was driving and she had to slam on the brakes, she would instantly throw out her skinny right arm to protect me. Anybody like that? Okay, pretty much majority. But when I was 40 and my mother was driving, A grown man at 190 pounds she would still throw out her skinny right arm like it would help sorry mom but I'm in the windshield it wouldn't work but there's that hardwired into our nature to be concerned about those coming behind us (laughs) this is a bit of a goofy story but I think it's funny an elderly couple are in their 90s they've been married 70 years They go to see a lawyer and tell him they want a divorce. He said, my God, you're 90 years old. You've been married 70 years. Why on earth would you want to get a divorce now? They said, well, we wanted to wait till the kids died. (laughs) I know, I know it's goofy, but I think it's funny. The point is, it's just kind of hardwired into our human species. We want to watch over, protect, and care for those that come after us, (laughs) okay? Now, through the ages, what it takes to pass spiritual life and values varied enormously. In Moses' day, he had people write down commandments, and they'd put them on their doors and gates of a home. Then in the book of Joshua, the next generation, God does a new thing, and God's always doing a new thing with every generation. So he allowed Israel to cross the Jordan to occupy the promised land. So God says, before you get on with your own life in the Promised Land, stop and do something for the generations that are to come. And God had them pile up 12 boulders that came out of the Jordan River. And then God says this in Joshua 4, verse 21 through 24. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan River before you until you had crossed over. He did it so all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So God says, I want you to interrupt your own life, your own agenda, and spend some time thinking about how you pass your faith on to the children that are coming behind you and to the ones who are with you now and what you're gonna tell them. A few hundred years ago, the vehicle used for that was called catechism. Uh, There was the Heidelberg catechism, and the words were very beautiful, and kids learned this in memory. It's just questions and then the answer. The first question to the children was, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Then the child would learn the answer and say back that I am not only my own, I belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. See, they were entrenching into that child confidence and faith in something bigger than themselves, including the world and the culture, our Lord Jesus. In the Middle Ages, one of the ways faith transfer got done were through beautiful stained glass windows. Now, children were largely illiterate, but even people were. They could see the Bible stories pictured in the glass early video screens and they kind of loved them one time a senior pastor called all the little kids up on the stage at a church and he pointed to one of the stained glass windows and he asked the children kids who's that figure there holding those two stone tablets and a little seven-year-old girl said that's moses and the pastor says that's really good how did you know that The little girl said well under the picture it says moses he had never even noticed that in all the years in the church. Now, when I grew up in church, we had a brand new technology called flannograph. Anybody remember that? That was state-of-the-art in my day. We had chalk drawings, and then puppets came. Remember that? Oh, church had fights over puppets. That was just going to bring the world into the church. Stupid has no limit when it comes to religion. I'm telling you. It's just crazy. So the methods change from one age to the other. But the burden, the passion to transfer faith has to remain constant. Sometimes it gets lost in churches. Sometimes one generation says, we just want to focus on ourself and what we like and the way we like it. And they forget there's another generation coming up and that God will do a new thing with that generation that he didn't do with you. So, Summit, how committed are we to passing on the faith in Jesus to those who come after us? What price will we pay? What sacrifice will we make so they can know? Anybody remember buying VeggieTale videos for you kids? Veggie, that's talking, singing, dancing vegetables. The video was 20 bucks. And I can remember with my grandchildren, children, when they came out, I would lay down twenty dollar bill for something I wouldn't have a clue to ever watch or want any interest in that vegetable. And I'd lay down twenty bucks so that my kids could pick up a relationship with Jesus. So see, it was it wasn't what I didn't want to watch war and peace and I did want to, but for them I paid for and watched something that was awful but they loved it so that i could communicate faith to them if i know that's so simple but you can't get christians to think that way well this is music we sang in the church when i got saved i can't believe they got a smoke machine or they got oh i just want to slap stupid out of you to say where is your brain The, the way you came in is not anything in the bible that said thou must never change the only thing that doesn't change is god and his word everything else is subject to change. Deal with it. Suck it up. Stop moaning, sucking your thumb and complaining. We want we're fishers, not keepers of an aquarium. We're fishers of men. We get all kinds of strange things, and that's good because God loves every strange thing. He does. So this this kind of leads to the second observation. Growing up and receiving the faith, living a life that honors God in this world is not getting easier for the new generation it is not like I grew up and it is tough sometimes it's tempting for generations to feel like they had things tougher than those who are coming after them when I walked to, when I went to school and grew up, I grew up on a military base I walked to school we all did and it was over a mile but we had hundreds of kids walk into school and nobody was worried about us. That was the third grade. I could take my bike out anytime, day or night. My mother never said, where's Ricky? Worried about me, because it was safer. It was just the way it was. Now, almost every school looks like the parade of the minivans, even if they're three blocks away. That's because our children are growing up in a different world. It's not as safe as it was in my day or yours. So let's talk, is that right? Well, you better believe it's right. You can't even let them go at the mall. You don't know what will happen. So let's talk about the world that our new generation is growing up in. And a lot of surveys and studies say that families are overscheduled, overcommitted. There's a toxic and chronic sense of lack of time, lack of quiet, lack of space, too much hurry, too much commitment. Now, students today feel a lot of pressure from their peers and from our culture, and from parents to succeed. Dennis Clark Pope, she's a writer, she wrote a book called Doing School, how we are creating a generation of stressed-out, materialistic, and miseducated students. She says that we have defined success largely in terms of compulsive achievement. Kids feel the pressure of making the traveling squad in their sport, excelling in their hobby got to get good grades got to get into a good college got to get a good job and one major university said 50 percent of the freshman women are on medication for anxiety and depression now that's the kind of the world in this culture they live in that's a burden they carry i don't remember any stress about i mean our little grandkids go to school with a 70 pound pack backpack i never had a backpack going to school we opened our desk, put it, what little books we had in there, closed it, and went home. Now it looks like they're going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> it's a fact, isn't it? This didn't have that. Adolescence is beginning earlier and lasting longer than ever before in the human race. How many of you have ever been through pu- puberty? How many really enjoyed it and loved to give it another shot? See, because of advances in medicine, health care, and diet, the onset of puberty is years earlier than 150 years ago. And not just that. Kids are making life-impacting decisions about real important stuff, their sexuality, use of alcohol and drugs, in middle school. Not high school, middle school. They're facing these decisions younger than ever before. And through television, movies, the internet, kids are being relentlessly bombarded by the culture on what's success what's the right appearance what's in what's out and the good life see it's way more invasive today than when i grew up when i grew up we had black and white tv and we had three channels and at 10 o'clock they went off that was it when i was in high school south carolina the worst thing that could happen is you get caught smoking in the bathroom or You could drink beer on Friday because it wasn't open on Saturday. And if some of the boys in high school might get drunk and get in a fight, and the very worst evil was you could get pregnant. Try today and what can happen. I mean, there just wasn't much opportunity to do bad when I grew up. It just wasn't there. So our kids need an alternative culture that can help them make wise choices. And that's part of what Jesus was doing when he began his family. He was to be a a redemptive community that would provide an alternative culture, living an alternative way of life that could be a blessing to the world, where culture always gets messed up apart from God. See, the culture is subject to God's Word. God's Word is never subject to the culture. It keeps changing. God's Word never changes. He said, Heaven and earth can pass away, my word will never pass away. So, whatever God said stands to this day. He's never edited it, upgraded it, or changed it. Now, I'm going to tell you something why that's good. And the builders in here would know I want to build on a foundation so my life or house can't be shaken. And the only thing that's not ever going to change is the foundation I'm going to build on is God's word. That's what Jesus said. Build your house, your life, your your career, your family. Build it on a strong foundation. You don't want to crumble. You want to have a good-looking house, and then the first storm is torn up, and it's a total disaster. And that's what happens to people that build on it. And then we have to pick up the pieces. Well, don't don't become a piece anyway. Build it on a good foundation, and you're going to have a good ride for the rest of your life. Fifty years ago, the average marital age was 22 for men, 20 for women. Within a few years of graduating high school, the expectation then was that people would get married, enter into a stable job that would run its same course for their entire career, and probably start to have children. My grandfather worked with Duke Power Company in Spartanburg, South Carolina, 50 years. Who works for 50 years today? And not many companies stay in business 50 years. But then, it was predictable. And he got a gold pen with a diamond in it and a ring. I have that I have that ring in a box just to kind of hand off as an heirloom. Fifty years when I looked at that. I hope after fifty years you'll get me something besides a dumb pen, okay? <laughs> okay, <laughs> whatever. Now today today the whole era of life between ages eighteen and thirty is called emerging. Adulthood. Emerging adulthood. A man named Christian Smith, a sociologist at Notre Dame, noted that due to a variety of reasons, the complexity, the challenge of entering into adulthood is a lot higher and takes longer than it ever did before. Education takes longer. Finding a career is more complex. Financial pressures are heavier. Marriage happens later if it's going to happen at all. Spiritual journeys are more complex, so that we're actually seeing the development of a whole new season of life. In biblical days, there was no such thing as adolescence. Adolescence is as much cultural as physiological. In Bible days, you were a child, then you entered adulthood. That was it. With the rise of the Industrial Revolution came the concept of the season of adolescence. Now in our day, experts are saying there's a brand new developmental stage lasting from about 18 to 30, and it's called emerging adulthood. There are lots of implications to that, and one of them has to do with spiritual development. You know, leaving high school has become a whole new challenge in the spiritual arena research indicates that somewhere between 65% and 80% of young people who are part of a church when they're in high school will walk away from church when they hit college. Now you think about that. That's devastating. Part of what that means is that we have to rethink ministering to children and students, not just in terms of getting them up to 18 and then they're on their own, but how do we help them get up to 30 and beyond with a strong faith in Jesus and a strong commitment to be part of a faith community. And by the way, if your tribe, if your group, if your church does not energize and encourage you, duh, you need a new group, a new tribe, or a new church. That's not complicated. I want something that lifts my spirit, gives me a little hope and encouragement. It used to be the biggest draw to come back to church once you left high school was getting married and having kids. Because when you have kids, you get desperate, and you'll sign up for any kind of support at all. Fifty years ago, the gap between high school and married with kids was generally about five years or so after high school. But now, it's 10 to 20 years. Imagine the gap of 20 years out of church life I'm talking a good, a good church family and what it does to a person's spiritual life being out. See, not only that, but young people who are raised in faith are living in a generation increasingly skeptical, suspicious, and negative about Christianity. And they don't know the real truth about it from a hole in the ground. They don't, they don't know the Bible, but they have an image of perception they've gotten from a few rogue Examples, maybe they grew up with. I was watching a guy, let me be careful here, is a mega church, but it's all senior citizens. He's old and they're old. Everybody out there is big. And I thought, he's answering questions nobody's, nobody's asking. If you can't read the culture, you can't speak to it. And I thought, you've become T-Rex, a fossil. Nobody's listening to you. And I'm thinking, you're wasting that expensive TV money talking about something nobody but people near the grave would be interested in. How I many you know that's not smart? You got to be, I want to keep the truth, but be relative and, and be able to re- be relatable to the culture I'm in. Paul did it. You can do that, but you have to make some sacrifices, but never on truth. I mean, I don't, I don't want to just appeal to people over 80. <laughs> Dear God no i don't i don 't want to dress that way, talk that way i 'm not even sure I even want to be around them i don 't think that way. See research has uncovered the primary associations people outside the church have you 've heard them when they hear the word Christian in college or whatever it 's totally wrong but but there are some people that have done it, you know like uh, young people will think of Christianity as being judgmental. Uh, Christians are all hypocritical, proselyters who are insensitive to others, out of touch with reality, political in ways that are unthinking and abrasive. I mean, and the list just goes on. What is clear is that young people are growing up in a society where skepticism and negativity about Christianity have reached levels that most of you and I never had to face when we were their age. So I want to say to those of you that are watching or that may be here, under 30, and you're following Jesus, hey, you are our heroes and hope for the future. We honor you for your courage and faithfulness, and I guarantee you we're committed to being, trying to be, a community that will give love, support, and encouragement, and belonging to you in that generation, because you have the challenge to figure out how to navigate life how to make good decisions, how to figure out relationships, how to pick a vocation, how to hold on to a marriage, and how do you handle financial pressure? Hello. Nobody ever asked me, Brother Rick, please interpret the white horse of Revelation or the alignment of the planets. No, people, people don't know how to do God. They don't know how to do money. They don't know how to do family. They don't know how to do career. Those are big Issues that revolve around life, and that maybe in our older generation, when Jesus was going to come back, was the big focus. Now it's living on this earth, the nasty now and now, and how to do it successfully till Jesus comes back. But I find that I find it interesting, and I'm going to waste expensive airtime talking about stuff nobody but 90 year old people would even have a, a clue to be interested in, and even what they're saying, they're guessing, they don't even know. Yeah, that's true. Go look at a bookstore. Go back and look at all the end time books that made a few million bucks for the authors and not a page was true. Never happened. I don't know why Christians don't get mad like me. I say, somebody doesn't know something. At least could you you cross the line to say, somebody's wrong. (laughs) Maybe I don't know what the real truth is, but I know you don't have the truth. You guys haven't been right in 50 years. Does anybody ever question something? Put on your thinking cap. I I really don't think the day Jesus is going to come back is, is going to help me in my marriage or raising my children or doing a job or being a good friend, a good neighbor to you. It's got nothing to do with that at all. I don't care when he shows up. I just better be busy doing what he called me to do when he does show up. So what do I care when? I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to die. Do you really want to know when you're going to die? I don't know. Getting off this parking lot and getting on to 281 would be a good clue that might help you meet Jesus sooner than you thought. So we want, we want the Word to go out. Some it's a place where you can belong, where you can be loved, where you can learn, where you can be supported. Listen to Psalms 145. Yep, it goes that high. Psalms 145 verse 4 and verse 5. One generation will commend your works, O God, to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor and of your majesty. Hey, that's our dream. That's our hope, and we can do it. And one more final observation. The starting place for the culture and the future begins with prayer. It's a prayer deal. The starting place is to ask God to pray to help our entire church family become a partner with all families let me speak especially to parents a general trend in families today is that parents are turning large chunks of what parents have historically done over to professionals that's not totally a bad thing but in previous centuries generally whatever kids were going to learn they learned from their parents But in our day, mostly we have professional teachers, so we hand the education process completely over to them and bow out. So parents will just outsource a lot of stuff to experts, to professionals that they want for their kids. And then there's a tendency to think about the spiritual life the same way. I'll drop the kids off at church to get the spiritual job done. The problem is that's not God's primary plan for spiritual development and starting strong. See, the central text in Judaism was called Deshima. That's how people were to become formed in godly ways, and it was God's plan. So here's the text. I'm going to read it to you. And I've changed the wording slightly so to see if you can see where it goes off the rails. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Hire professional faith instructors to teach them to your children. Have volunteers and youth rabbis talk to them in clubs. Write the words down for them to hear once a week in synagogue. Yea, verily I tell you, outsource the spiritual education of your children. (laughs) Did you notice where I got off track from what Moses actually said? Here's what old Moses said. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, so in other words, you can't outsource the spiritual life of your kids. It's your deal. The ball's in your court. Now I know know what all parents all over this room are thinking. Rick, I'm not competent. I don't feel adequate. There are too many things I don't know. There are too many questions I cannot answer. There's too much about the Bible I don't understand. My own spiritual life is too underdeveloped. And talking to my kids about spiritual stuff would make me feel kind of awkward, uncomfortable. Okay, I got it. Now let me give you the best theological response to that I know. Duh. Who wouldn't feel incompetent and uncomfortable talking about God and his kind of life to our kids? I've stood up and talked about faith in God since I was 30 years old. And not a week goes by that I don't have the thought cross my mind, God, I don't know enough. I'm not clear enough. I don't believe enough. I'm not good enough. Every week. But I'm telling you something. Waiting for somebody else or waiting for you To become fully competent to proclaim God to the next generation is like waiting for the Dallas Cowboys to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. See, nobody knows your child like you. Nobody can monitor your child like you. Nobody loves your child like you. And the reality is, you're shaping their spiritual life, their beliefs about God, about prayer, about money, about generosity, about hoarding, about justice, about concern for the poor. You're doing it all the time, every day, for better or worse. You're doing it by design or default, but it's happening. And I was raised by my grandparents. I was passed a different uh, divorced family, And I can remember the impact my grandparents had on me as a high school teenager. And I remember that my grandparents took me to church every single Sunday. There was no debate. We were going. Yeah, I wasn't very spiritual at all. Of course not. But they took me. Meanwhile, that seed of God's Word and that discipline was going in me, although they saw no fruit of that at all. Okay, and then every Saturday night, my grandfather in his pajamas would sit in his big master bedroom at his big desk, and he had he an had a, a, a ink fountain back then, Boy, that real ink, you know, and he had put a fountain pen in that ink, and he'd open his huge checkbook. Sucker was big like that. And he had open it up, and then he would sit there with his Sunday school offering envelope, and it said, Read Bible, check, attend the midweek service, check. Uh, uh, tithes and offerings check, uh, attended main service, I don't know, a Lottie Moon offering uh, above my tithe check, and he would write that check out every Saturday night. I'd watch granddad do that. Now, and then he was telling me, Rick, you need to tithe your income. I know it's part time. You need to learn to tithe your income. He said, you'll never be broke in your life you may have a few close calls god will always provide though through every one of them for the rest of your life i didn't pay much attention but when i was in a rock and roll band as a college student and unsaved i would send my tithe home to my grandparents and even though i was a pagan i was a prosperous pagan because tithing doesn't have anything to do with going to heaven it's about God's promise to provide for you. And, and I've been doing that since I was 18 years of age. Some of you haven't got a clue about you just think I'm losing. You are ensuring your future. But i watched them do these disciplines regularly. They were not religious. They never offended me in any way uh, so that I would be put off. It, it just didn't all show up for a long time in my future but it paid off. So even if you're a grandparent raising your kid's kid, you have big impact on those kids. Your spiritual disciplines are important to your children. Are you cheap? Do you tip the waitress? Are you stingy? Are you greedy? Where do you learn that? Do you hit your wife? They learn. How do you hit uh, uh, people? How does he go on in a marriage and be an abusive? He saw it. Saw it in the home or saw it with the relatives in the home. You learn everything there first. You learn how to handle money, not from Susie Ortman or uh, the other guy, Dave Ramsey. You learn with mom and dad. So I want my kids to see generosity with mom and dad. And we used to tell them with their babysitting money, now you need to tithe that. That's for your future. And, of course, like kids, they don't think, tithe it? My God, he's going to take it all. (laughs) (laughs) Some of you adults think the same way, 10%. Give me a break. You ain't going to get rich or broke on 10%. If 10% will put you under, you need some real serious counseling on how you handle your life and your money, for crying out loud. And yet God gives you, I will rebuke the devourer. I'll open the windows of heaven. I'll provide for you all the days of your life. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. Generosity always pays. and doesn't cost you. So what we at Summit want to do is to come alongside parents and families and single parents to help new generations start strong. We want to create a great place for our children, our young people to come together and learn about God and help equip moms and dads to raise up a generation that loves and honors and follows God. Now, just a couple of words to close to parents in particular. Be intentional. This ain't going to happen by accident. Be intentional about your own spiritual growth because you can't give what you don't have. Begin to regularly read scriptures, explore membership, how can you let your children know it's important to make a commitment to a church family somewhere if you haven't done so? How can they know spiritual life is, is important if it isn't to you? Tell your kids about when you accepted Jesus. And if you've never accepted Jesus, here's a good idea. Accept Jesus. See? And you can do that today. And then tell your kids your story. My son, my daughter there was a day when i came to understand jesus came from god to the earth he died on the cross for my sins i accepted him as my savior and now i'm following him and i want you kids to know that's the most important thing in my life i don't always do it right but i just want you to know more than i want anything else for you more than i want you to be successful more than i want you to graduate from school more than i want you to be skilled at something more than i even want you to be healthy I want Jesus to be your Savior too. And then we all become part of this family. And together we can all do our best to finish well. Amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.